0: I just wish everybody would be able to let go of their fears um, and their anxiety about poetry, and just let it flow, let it en- enrich them, and release within them.
1: Yeah. Welcome to the Renovare Podcast, a place for honest conversations about interactive life with God. I'm Nathan Foster, and my guest today is the acclaimed poet, Lucy Shaw. I sometimes sense we as a culture fail to acknowledge the importance and help artists bring to society. Historically speaking, it's often the artist who carry the stories of a time and place Encapsulating the voices of a people through painting, sculpture, architecture, literature, music, and poetry. Artists show us who we are and who we are becoming. They give voice to our aspirations, our goodness, and failings. In a very real sense, artists offer a prophetic voice. Ultimately offering us a new lens to see the world around us in unique and different ways. Today I get to share with you a wonderful conversation I had with one of my favorite living artists, the poet Lucy Shaw. Throughout her life, Lucy has written some 37 books, both poetry and creative nonfiction. Her most recent work is simply titled, Generosity. I talked with Lucy over a video call from her home in Bellingham, Washington.
0: Surprisingly, a good year for John and me. We have been well supplied. We haven't had any illnesses, no flu, no. We've both been vaccinated, uh, so we're feeling a little bit more secure about that. But um, I've been riding away and... I just I just sent in another book to my publisher.
1: I saw so, this the a- angels, is it? Angels everywhere?
0: Yes, angels everywhere. Oh,
1: right? you're just wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Very interested to hear where the title of your new book came from.
0: I began to understand that the word angel means messenger. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. It's and um because I just so enjoy taking photographs of beautiful things uh, that are in our landscape and in our lives they seem to me like the beautiful things were being messengers uh, that God sent to illuminate and give us enjoyment so I wrote a, I wrote the uh, I wrote a poem uh, called angels everywhere and from there it just sort of the the book itself sort of took off uh writing poems about many of the the uh, significant things in my life that appeared to me to be angels or messengers from god
1: and the story of the generosity where did that title come from
0: once again i had written a poem called the generosity and it just um helped me to focus on the immense amount of giftedness. God sends it through his people and through nature. I mean, it's sort of a universal understanding of the grace of God and the generosity, the givingness of God. Yeah.
1: And this was birthed from the the photograph of the, the tree stump. Is that correct?
0: Yeah. I did a Christmas card a couple of years ago that was um, a tree stump with a green leaf growing out of the top, just a single leaf growing up out of the tree stump. And I wrote a poem about the improbability of that. And I joined it with the idea of the human improbability that God could appear in human form um, through, through the birth of Jesus from Mary. So that was, uh, that was part of the inspiration for the generosity, the givenness of our lives. Uh, how incredibly intricate, I guess. Every stone, every leaf speaks to me of generosities, but also through people. You know, we just have so many generative friends, friends who are artists and writers. And, you know, we go to a wonderful Episcopal church where there's an enormous amount of creativity at work. And another way that John and I have been trying to reflect God's generosity is that we're working with a lot of the homeless people in our town. We have what's called an alms ministry like almoners, <laughs> and uh, so you know we try to help individuals uh, get their identity back or uh, find a place to stay or give them a tent or a pair of boots just the ordinary things that they need but we also always offer to pray with them and almost invariably they love to have us pray with them and that may bring them to tears that someone loves them enough to pray so that is part of the outreach that we have it's just in our own little circle in our town you know we we really want to keep giving back because we've been given so much honestly john and i both had such good lives and wonderful families and parents. I don't know if you know, but uh, my dad was a medical missionary in the Solomon Islands, and John's dad was a medical missionary in inland China. And (laughs) when we first met, we realized uh, how much we had in common. (laughs) So. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I thought it was interesting how in your book, the generosity, how periodically these themes of your family and your father came through. What what do you think was behind that?
0: My dad loved good literature and he loved poetry. And as a small child, I began to write quite spontaneously, little little bits of poems, and I write them on bits of paper and put them in his coat pocket <laughs> and he'd carry them around. And then later, when I was doing more serious work with literature and poetry, he would share it with, with all his friends with great pride. Uh, my mom, not so much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> would it be safe to say then your dad was a, a source of kind of inspiration in, in helping encourage you as a poet?
0: Yes, and he was a wonderful man of God. Um, uh, He didn't have me until he was 60, and I was his first child, and my brother came along two years later, but he lived a generative life. He did everything with us. He did ice skating and climbing cliffs and exploring and canoeing, and he made a little sailboat for us that was safe enough that he could send my brother and me off across the lakes in Canada, you know, for a day at a time. So it was, um, my dad was a great gift to us.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I just, I found it really interesting that here in your nineties, you're writing about your dad. I I thought it was quite beautiful. (laughs) Oh,
0: well, um, I was with him when he died. Um, and he, died, he He had a very aggressive form of cancer, and he died within about six weeks of being diagnosed. And I was with him, and he died. And, and he just was so excited at the idea of going to heaven. He was like a kid with a, expecting a bicycle. I mean, he was so <laughs> excited. And then when the moment came, he just said, it's time. And his spirit just went back to the back to God. So
1: <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. uh, it was, you know, he lived that kind of life. Everybody loved him. Um, and he could live in the presence of God in a way that I don't know I've ever met anyone quite like that. He could just sit in a crowd of people and be somewhere else, just, um, you know, in God's presence.
1: You wrote in the introduction to the book... Uh, a line about feeling like a rebellious teen let loose on the world. Could you talk a little <laughs> about that?
0: Me or my brother? <laughs>
1: no, you as a poet. It, it, you it seem to be writing prolifically these days. Yes,
0: yes. Um, I was not so good with math. <laughs> so my my teachers in, uh, in high school uh, were just at the wit's end they really wanted me to graduate, but I was so bad with algebra. Um, <laughs> anyway, they did let me graduate, and then I went to Wheaton. That was uh, where I, pulled, you know, got the rest of my education, which was a wonderful. Uh, I had I had some wonderful teachers at Wheaton. Uh, my best teacher was Dr. Clyde Kilby, and you know, he was not a poet himself, but he was a very good critic. And I would write poems um, and he would just mark them up and then say, this is great, send this to the Atlantic tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, so he had that kind of uh, energy that uh, infused me with energy uh, and a love of doing what I was doing and uh, I was the last person to speak to him before he died uh, on the telephone. He was—he had retired to Mississippi, and he came in from the garden. He, he loved raising irises, uh, and he came in from the garden and was raving about his irises. And so I said, well, do you want me to write a poem about the irises? And he said, yes. And he said, never forget, you are a poet, and I love you. Mm. And that was the last word I heard from him. And in the night, he died. So to be sort of involved in my teacher's life and in my father's life, both of them, such giving, godly men, um, just was a huge, I think it, I think it, my life would have been very different without them.
1: I love that this theme of generosity seems to permeate your life these days.
0: Well, I, I do like to be enthusiastic. I love the word enthusiasm. Entheo, in God. Uh, that, that's where the word comes from. So.
1: <laughs> it's a good word.
0: <laughs> yes, it is.
1: How has your writing as a poet changed through the years?
0: I think I'm a little more experimental than I used to be. Um, I've done poetry workshops with some really great poets like Mark Jarman and Andrew Hudgens. And uh, they were so encouraging. They And then Carolyn Fourchet, I don't know if you know her name. <laughs> she... Uh, Wrote a wonderful book about her experience in El Salvador, where she went as a young reporter to report on the uh, terrible things that were happening under the government to the Mayan people. And so having friends and poets like that in my life, you know, it's like a company of really close friends even though you don't live close together, you're on the same wavelength where you want to take what you see and turn it into something beautiful that can be uh, communicated to to other people. And that's that's the genius of books, I think, is that no matter, I mean, even though I'm not with you in person, um, you know, you can read a book or a poem that I've written and we can have a conversation about it, then make a connection. So that's that's grace. That's the grace of God, the givenness, the givingness, the generosity. <laughs>
1: Books are helpful in that way. I noticed that before we got on, you were reading Wendell Berry.
0: Oh yes, I love Wendell Berry. You know, this is. <laughs> you know, I have several children. My. I have five kids. My son John is himself a very fine poet, and my son Jeff is not a poet, but he loves poetry. And every week we take an hour and we read a poem together and talk about it. He lives in he lives in California, and I live up here. But we make that con- living connection uh, through poems and through poetry. Yeah. Now, my other kids are creative in different ways.
1: (laughs) How would you like people to read your poetry?
0: Aloud. Aloud. Yeah, I would like them to go somewhere quiet and open the book and see a poem and read it aloud more than once. And let the rhythms of the words and the almost physicality of the process, uh, you know, move them emotionally, uh, intellectually. Uh, No poem is meant to sit on the page silent in the middle of a page. (laughs) It's meant to be read aloud. And, of course, you know, poetry in ancient days when they didn't have the ease of writing and recording poetry—it was—it was, was an oral poetry, and that's how they told the stories of their ancestors through these wonderful bardic poems. So poetry should be read aloud.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. Speaking of which, would would you be willing to read some poems from the generosity?
0: Oh, yes. Or I could read you a new poem that I just wrote yesterday. Ooh,
1: even better. Would you like that? I'd love that.
0: <laughs> okay. This, it's called April. This day, this springy day, I claim the never-ending sky for sealing. And in the little rooms of my life, I cultivate seasons as if they are flowering vines growing across my bedspread. And grapes, maybe, or seeds are promises for July sleeping underground, waking and awakening a green resurrection. On all our ancient trees, rising sap has thickened the twigs until they sprout a thousand honey-colored catkins heavy enough to swing in the wind, flinging in the bursts of wild air their lusty spores. Pollen, though it may be an affliction, promotes new life. And the cherry trees exploding with their frothy pink blossoms. It is all joy, all gratitude, all grace. So that, that was a poem I wrote yesterday. So, <laughs>
1: wow. Tell me your process. Were you, was this on a drive? Were you sitting?
0: Yeah, I'll tell you how it happens. You know, when we drive, we live in such a beautiful part of the world. And I will find little phrases coming to me, and I I have a little notebook in the car, and I can just put a couple of phrases down to remind me when I get home to get it into my computer. I'm just grateful for the impulses that come to me from the world around me, which all reflect to me the creator, the creativity of God. I also have a little camera, and I'll open the window, and I'll take a photograph or something, and I'll say to John, back up four feet, you know, so I can frame this photograph the way I want it. So I, I, I really love photography and poetry and the way they work together bringing images and reminders of ah, the gorgeous world we live in.
1: So then you'll take the a line or two that you wrote down and, and the photograph and then sit? Yes, and-,
0: and when I get home, I'll work with it, you know. I'll get it into the computer, but I'm constantly revising and changing things mm-hmm. until I feel they sort of reached where they wanted to go. <laughs> the, I worked with Madeline Lengel as her editor, so that was, uh, you know, we that's where I really learned to edit good work. And uh, Madeline and I were best friends for thirty-five years. Yeah.
1: What was it like working with her?
0: Well, she was such a wordsmith. She was such a student of Scripture. Whenever we got together, we would read Scripture before going to bed and pray together. And um, I I edited eleven of her books which meant that I would probably cross the country to go to New York City and stay with her for a couple of weeks, and we would work on a manuscript uh, in her apartment, either that or up in her summer home, which was in Connecticut. And we did a lot of traveling together. We we traveled overseas and... uh, And, of course, she came from the liberal left in her Christian faith, and I came from the the very conservative right, (laughs) from the Plymouth Brethren. And we sort of met in the middle and just found that we had so much in common, thanks to the grace of God.
1: Is there something that you, from those years with her, your friendship and working relationship, Are there things that you learned that you've carried throughout your life and maybe informed your writing today?
0: Yeah, I think she she really believed that there was this God spark of creativity in everyone and that it had to be almost massage Mm -hmm. (laughs) and freed from, you know, the the kind of um restrictions that we have and so i learned a lot about freedom she was always uh pushing me to be more open and i would push her <laughs> to probably more theologically correct <laughs> <laughs> But sometimes, you know, we'd have an editing session together for a couple of hours. And once we stood up at the end of that spontaneously and sang the doxology. (laughs) So, you know, she was a gift of grace to me from a very different lifestyle and a different setting in her life. And I think I was a gift to her to show to her a different way of living and a different way that God was being gracious uh, in in my life as a writer. So it was such fun working with her.
1: <laughs> That's great. Could we hear another poem?
0: Okay. yeah. There's another one that I wrote. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I wrote this one yesterday, too. It's called Day Book.
1: <laughs> Two poems this... in one day. <laughs> Is that common for you to do?
0: Yeah. (laughs) It's called Day Book. This day is a book still unfolding, a suspense novel. We recognize the genre with clues from the morning paper. We are beguiled by the headlines of sun-struck clouds and dew wet enough to rinse our hands in. The plot is original. We can only guess how it will turn out. So we follow the narrative arc, reading it through the burn and blaze of high noon all the way to the last page until, like an ancient writer, the knight writes, Fini. And the stars endorse the grateful author. So see that
1: is so good.
0: <laughs> well, you know it's so much fun, and another part of that fun is just having somebody like you willing to listen, so that we can join together in an enjoyment of you know, create creativity and creation, and you know every. Every poet looks at the world from a different angle, and there are so many wonderful angles available to us, um, made, made possible by the fact that we have minds and imaginations. I love the word imagination, because it really comes from the idea of having images in our heads. We see things through the portal of our eyes and our senses, and they create images in our heads and then that has to be expressed in in a creative way. I just wish everybody would be able to let go of their fears um and their anxiety about poetry and just let it flow, let it in, enrich them and release within them. Yeah.
1: What would you say to folks who are thinking of writing poetry or, you know, beginning? Is there a word or two you might have?
0: Well, I think the beginning is to begin reading poetry. Um, And then, you know, I've helped a number of uh, groups of people to get together on a regular basis and read their poems to each other so that they can get it out into the air, out into the atmosphere, and then work together to refine it and make it the best it can be and the, and it's really helpful to have several poet friends uh which which i have i'm very grateful for who listen to each other and say no that that doesn't work for me uh try it you you've got to end that differently very specific um uh, advice and feedback uh because you know none of us is perfect um i read my poems to my husband and to my son john because he's a poet and uh, i have other friends i have a friend in canada who uh i read poems over the phone because we can't because of the covid we can't cross the border right now but we read i read poems to her and she will she goes at them like uh, a surgeon and she would say, cut out that too many adjectives. You know, So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I really value another mind, another eye at work on my creative work because, you know, I'm, I want to be open to improvement, to changing things for the better. So I, I hope all of us can be like that.
1: How much of your work is editing? in terms of poetry?
0: You mean editing my own work or having Mm -hmm. someone else help me edit it?
1: Uh, You edit. Well, both, I guess.
0: Yes. Oh, well, you know, part of it, um, I get something on paper, and then I get it into the computer, and then I fool around with it, and I'll try reading it aloud and seeing if the rhythm was good. And then sometimes I'll pick up a poem that's been sitting in my folder for months, and I look at it again, and I'll get a new... I can see it from a new angle and rework it. So I don't think poetry, my poems are never, ever complete. (laughs) Uh, You know, I look look at the creation, the initial creation uh, in in Eden (laughs) and God, this is all so good. It's all so good. He had so much, God said, so much joy in what he had created and the people he'd created. And, you know, even though the apple, <laughs> the apple and the serpent in Eden uh, ended up with destruction and they had to leave, but still they maintained that creative juice that God create, uh, God, God made into them. Think of the juice. This, the creativity god had to use in in deciding how to make animals you know the diversity of creation is is part of the grace of god and i think we we still wear that we still have that within ourselves um that creative juice that spark that god put there
1: god as poet
0: god as poet and, you know, the word poem comes from the Greek word poema, which means a maid, something made. Hmm.
1: How do you tap into that joy in the midst of life and comings and goings?
0: Well, you know, God has been very good. Both John and I have raised our children and they're wonderful. And now I've got four great-grandchildren. Um. Who live? Some of them live fairly close by, so I get to see them, and they're wonderful. And my oldest great granddaughter is now thirteen, and she is a writer. Nice. (laughs) She is writing novels at thirteen. Wow. (laughs) And you know, she has a real creative spark. It's you know, I think there is a genetic thing going on. Probably, my dad wrote. He wrote a number of books, uh, and so that idea of putting ideas into print, into words, I believe it, it does follow a genetic stream uh, into our descendants, and I just hope that they have as much fun doing it as I do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Lucy, it's so good to talk to you. Do you have another poem you could read us before we go?
0: Do you have a poem in the generosity that you would like me to read? Because I've got the book here.
1: Oh, I, I do. How about The Pilgrim, page 29?
0: Okay, let's get it. Pilgrim. Meaning is a landscape of boulders. There, ahead of you, a thorny wilderness. You cannot leap over it. You must conquer it stone by stone. To traverse it, you must find sure footing and fortitude in uncertain weather. Your fear like metal in your mouth. And yes, it is possible to walk the knife edge of a longing a blade narrow is the path to heaven so you know Jesus said there's a narrow path which I think it means a focused path Uh, not a restrictive path but a focused path Uh, and we are all pilgrims we are on a journey We all have difficulties that we have to surmount, and difficult boulders, as in the poem. So I just pray for you, Nathan, that as you are building things and raising a family, you will find that wonderful impulse coming from God to give you a sense that what you're doing is significant because it's it's the gift you've been given. just finished reading the new book by uh about Eugene Peterson. Oh. The new biography just came out. I right? because I endorsed it, I got a free copy. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's so well done. Yeah. Um,
1: did did it capture who he was, do you think?
0: Yes, I think it I think it did. In in all the uh sort of thorny <laughs> thorny parts of him as well as You know, I mean, he didn't come at the grace of God in an easy way. Uh, He had to, he had to stumble and he had to deal with uh, some of his own problems. But, you know, he was there. He, again, was one of my closest friends. I was able, I was privileged to edit the Psalms and the books of wisdom for the message. Yes, Uh that was, yeah, that's another thing I've loved doing, um, I worked for the new NIV. Uh, I worked with the translators as, as a sort of an editorial consultant so that the the language could have a flow to it and wouldn't be too jerky. You know, a poet can give a little bit of help
1: along that line. So yeah. I am curious. The psalms and the message are just I just absolutely love them. What was the editing of that? What was that process like?
0: Eugene, um, he would send me the manuscripts, and I would read them aloud. And sometimes they were jerky. They didn't flow. And I tried to help the language to achieve a flow or a, uh, so that it wasn't uh, like walking a rocky path. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was more like poetry that had a rhythm to it, uh, and, you know, he didn't accept everything that I suggested. <laughs> he accepted probably 60% of what I adjusted, but we'd send our, in those days, we did, couldn't send uh, documents uh, by email. It all went through the mail, <laughs> so <laughs> I would redline <laughs> the manuscript that he sent to me. i would mail them back to him, and then he'd... You know, we we stayed in touch that way. So, yeah, that was a lot of fun working with him on
1: that. I I don't think people often, I mean, people know Eugene from the message and his theological writings, but his love of poetry and love of language, that was just in him, right?
0: Yes. He he wrote a poem every Christmas, and we would get it. And I wrote a poem every Christmas, and we, you know, so there was a little bit of a, a link there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I'm so glad I talked to Eugene about three months before his death and we knew that he was struggling, he was tripping, he was falling he was not very well but his mind was still very sharp
1: so (laughs) Lucy, what do the coming years look like for you?
0: Well, I'll be grateful when we can be with our kids and and our friends and can hug them. I have a wonderful prayer group uh, that meets Friday morning on Zoom all year. But this week, they're all coming over on Friday in person. (laughs) (laughs) It's so wonderful. I look forward to that. I look forward to more traveling and flying uh, to visit family elsewhere. So just the freedom. With exceeding gratitude that we have stayed healthy, both John and I. Yes. Uh, yeah.
1: Lucy, so good to talk with you.
0: Well, may I pray for you?
1: Oh, please. I'll uh, take it.
0: <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Heavenly loving Father, that Nathan and I can discuss things that are important to us and that bring us joy and bring us life. I'm just grateful for every impulse and every beautiful thing you bring into our lives. And help us to deal with the difficult things in a spirit of grace and of understanding and of faith that you are with us no matter what. So I pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.
1: And that was Lucy Shaw. Again, her most recent work is titled Generosity. You can learn more about Lucy and her work at her website, LucyShaw.com. You can hear more from Lucy on a recent Renovare webinar. We'll put the link in the show notes. I also want to let you know about the other podcast produced by Renovare. It's called Friends in Formation. It's a bit of an informal conversation. I get to have with two friends working with your questions. I'm Nathan Foster, and you've been listening to The Renovare Podcast, podcast made possible by donations from people like you. You can support this podcast with a tax-deductible gift at renovare.org. Renovare is a Christian ecumenical renewal effort, offering resources and experiences to help people become more like Jesus. You can find articles and other resources at our website, renovare.org. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast. We love hearing your questions or thoughts. Email at renovare.org or tweet at renovare. This podcast is produced by Brian Morrican, who also wrote the opening song titled Be Kind. And until next time, be well, friends. Be well.